Blake Long, welcome to the Theo Bros podcast, where we are always reforming. We love sound theology that is full of conviction. We believe Christ is King. He's Lord over all. That's what it means to be a Theo Bro. And by coming on this podcast, you are officially joining Theo Bro Nation. Are you okay with that? I'm just fine with it. <laughs> okay. Well, this thank is you a, for having me on. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to look at you. I'm actually doing this on Zoom. And so actually seeing your face, it makes me happy. Um, this is a, a special group of people, by the way, these Theo bros. Um, so my Theo bros, my Theo sisters, they, they'll welcome you with open arms. But here's the thing. Mm -hmm. You have to grow out a beard. Um, that's I can't. <laughs> we got to work on that. You see this uh, okay, right we're here. just a little bit. There's a little patch, a little patchy. Um, and you can only bit. listen to hymns also. Okay, so no well, modern music at all. And you have so to no get sovereign it. grace, no. Sorry, those oh, go out the window now. Sorry, I can't All right. do it. <laughs> and then you have to get a tattoo, any tattoo really, on your calf, calf, uh, on my calf, your calf. So um, that's yeah. what. I'm just <laughs> not kidding. against you, it, but not ready for the pain. <laughs> <laughs> no, all right, no, you you're good. You've been featured on Challies.com for the church, Nine March, United We Pray, Servants of Grace, Gospel-Centered Discipleship, Monergism.com, The Aquila Report. You have your own blog at TheologyAndLife.com. Those have dashes in them. I actually didn't know you could do that. They, unfortunately, they do, yes. That, no thank lie. you to the person who stole that before me. <laughs> Actually, I think it gives it a little bit of a, a little bit of life, a little yeah. bit of uniqueness. Um, you're married. You have two kids. I am married. Correct? Yes, sir. Okay, love your family and everything. We talked a little bit about them before the show. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure they're absolutely just wonderful and lovely. But I want to hear about your dog. <laughs> My dog's name is Dundee, and like Crocodile very... Dundee, right? Like the crocodile. You, you just triggered me because <laughs> what I was just about to say was, and I get very offended. I've had two or three people since we've gotten them. They're like, oh, crocodile Dundee. And I'm like looking at them and go, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so, no, not after crocodile Dundee. After the Dundee Awards on The Office. Oh. Get it right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love the Dundee and, Awards. And the best part of it all is when we, we got him from the pound, his name they gave him at the pound, Justin, was Toby. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It just made it. That is like, so good. His name. It yeah, was so. meant to be. Oh. It was meant to be. Yes. Um, you're a big, you know, office aficionado, and I am as well. I just, sometimes I just come home, you know, and eat my lunch, and I'll just turn on the mm -hmm. office. And um, what is your favorite office episode? You know, my wife and I argue about this a lot, and I think my favorite episode is the one, it's called The Injury. Yeah, it's The Injury, where yeah. Michael Scott burns his foot on George Foreman. <laughs> Phenomenal. So, okay. yes. He calls he calls in to work, and he is in so much pain, and they put him on speakerphone. Mm -hmm. Then he gets in the conference room, and he asks for pan for the uh, country crop butter, and he's all of a sudden he feels better because he doesn't realize Ryan put crushed up aspirin in there. Which is what which is what he does with his dog. Yes. Oh, it's, so, it's so good. That is that is my one of my go-tos. 
the two episodes that I love the most are the most awkward in my my wife. Yeah, yeah. She loves the show, but we she can't watch these with me. It's let me try to guess them. Let me okay, try go to ahead. Guess them. Two of there's two of them. Two I can think of at least is one is the dinner party. Yes, that that the is number two that is, is number Scott's one. tots. Yes, that is my second one. <laughs> Love it. Those are my two favorite The Office episodes. Yes, um, I just awesome. the pain through it all. That's I think yes. that's what drew me to. I love how he he finally admits he can't pay their tuition, <laughs> and then he makes this big deal out of the next thing he's going to bring out, like he's getting them all laptops, and then he pulls out the battery <laughs> for the laptops. <laughs> but wait, they're lithium ion, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, it's great. So good. Yes. So yeah, that's those. I that's what drew me to the show i kind of relate to michael scott a little bit i feel we all do yeah i feel dumb like him <laughs> sometimes yes. and yes i love i love how much he hates toby um oh, yeah. just love that so much um all right on to the more important things you are 27 years old i am that's unbelievable and you already <laughs> wrote a book at 20 i'm not jealous i'm not covetous um i've 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 surrendered that to the Lord. I'm putting that sin to death. I'm crucifying it. Um, but that is super cool that you have written Thank a book you. before you were or 27 years old, before you're 27. In, in a separate interview, this, this could be one where we edit out or we leave it in. It doesn't really matter. In a separate interview, Josh Harris, just minus the apostatizing. But <laughs> since he, I mean, he wrote, I guess dating goodbye at like 20. But, um, I, you know, I, obviously it was hard. It was difficult. There were moments of, um, writer's block and there was moments of, I'm in way over my head. I, you know, I, I'm not even an expert on evangelism, you know, um, I, I, I'm not even a person that gets out into the street and, you know, does all that stuff. But, um, I just kept plowing, man. There, there, there wasn't a lot of magic to it. I knew the idea. Um, Chally's, of course, was the one that, that shared the original blog post that inspired the book. And so I thought, well, I could make that into a book. It was fairly easy to flesh out into multiple chapters. And then it was one of those things where I, I certainly didn't do this with the next book, but um I didn't really plan out the book before I wrote it. I just started writing mm. and I kind of did the chapters as I went. And then I, of course I had to do a lot of rearranging on the back, but you can do it. I saw your tweet the other day. You got book ideas. So it's not, <laughs> it takes, it takes discipline. And the funny thing is I'm not very disciplined as a person. Um, but somehow I was able to get that done. So. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, that's really encouraging to hear. Um, truth is truth, even though maybe you're not standing on a, on a box and, and right. proclaiming the gospel that way. Um, you know, I feel that, I feel that um, inadequacy as a, a young pastor who's had to sit mm -hmm. down and do marriage counseling with, with 40, 50 year olds who are getting married. You know, there is that, that, that discomfort. I'm so much yeah. younger than them. I have so much less experience. But right. again, truth is truth, and God's word just cuts through all of that. And Amen. Um, I, I so I so appreciated your book. Why do you think it resonated with at least your blog post? Let's talk about your blog post first, 
It, it got onto Chally's.com. Why do you think it resonated with so many people? I think it's something that we're all seeing. And, you know, I, I talked about this a while back on, on, on a separate podcast as well, but I tried to make sure that the book wasn't solely about social media because it's not, but a lot of the inspiration for why I wrote the original blog post and then the book came from social media. So, you know, I almost could go back and almost change the subtitle to not make it strictly about evangelism, but more about our public witness. Um, and I, I just, I think people resonate with knowing that we have the truth of the gospel, but knowing how prone we all are to making it more offensive by just, whether it's, whether we're intentionally being rude or whether we just can't read a room well or what, whatever the situation may be, I think we all prone to, to know how we feel in those circumstances. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of what you talked about alluded to pushback. I haven't really received pushback because it hasn't gotten gone out to a lot of people, but um, it, it is kind of a message that for the correct person to read might tick them off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, or to the person who needs to read it, they might say, oh, it's about this person, not them, which I think we all need to do that because we all have the the uh the ability to not think it's about us first thing we need to do is say does this apply to me mm-hmm. i ask myself that question a thousand times while writing the book so um yeah it's one of those things where I, I think people resonate with it just because it's something that is so common that we're seeing nowadays yeah yeah and especially at the time you were writing i don't did you write the blog post in 2019 i believe 2019, um, the blog yeah. post by the way is called the gospel is offensive but you shouldn't be. It's basically your book condensed, right? In, in yeah, to 500 words, words yeah. Yeah. Um, so if anyone can go find that and really be blessed by that. Um, um, I, I wonder, you know, as time goes on, this book, as, as it kind of gets out more and more, um, it is a little bit at, at this point of uh, moment, in time, you know, cultural moment. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if it's a, a very countercultural message that that will receive some pushback. Um, I think we've seen, you know, for a while there was the the push for winsomeness, new, nuance, <laughs> just niceness. Even even now, you hear hear people like Tim Keller and others really push that. David French, um, and. And you so won't like my, you our, won't like my opinion on Tim Keller. <laughs> our, our response, our response, my general response to Tim yeah. Keller is to do the opposite of what he does. Um, and, and to yeah. go, is just kind of go the other ditch, um, go to the other side, totally swing the other direction where I, what I appreciate about your book, um, which we'll, we'll actually get into your book, um, gospel smugness. What I appreciate about your book, it is, it, it brings everything back into balance again. Um, this is why I think it will get some pushback because we have some, I have some faithful friends and some Twitter followers and, and real strong men with strong conviction. They've started to go into that ditch of just rudeness and borderline arrogance. And, and I can see that. I can see your message being a little tough for them to swallow. So two things. Yeah. the, The, the winsomeness conversation I think it doesn't need to be a conversation that is on Twitter. That's part of this whole issue. Like 
whether you and I agree on this part is fine, but like, I love Tim Keller. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are things about him that I don't like. Okay. Um, I, I, I've, I wish he was far more straightforward on things than he should be. I think he should probably not be on Twitter as much as he is because whether he knows it or not, he sends out very vague tweets and it causes a lot of trouble, even if, or people are assuming the wrong thing about his tweet, you know? So, um, but the second part of that is, of course, I, I, I I'm never the type of person that would put names in the book. But I had specific names in mind when I wrote the book. I bet you did, yes. <laughs> um, now, these names might be something you and I disagree on. It just kind of depends. Because even I noticed the first thing about the, the, the your podcast, Theo Bros, even that's controversial. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. And I think be. you know it's controversial. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like going, I want to talk to this guy. Because like, I like, we're all on the same team. Yes. And and that's what I can't stand about Twitter sometimes is we talk to each other like we're not. It's it's frustrating to see brothers and sisters not talking to each other like brothers and sisters. Yeah. I think that's my end thing. It's like we can we can disagree on the sexual abuse thing, we can disagree or agree to disagree on CRT and how prevalent it is and all of this stuff. But let's talk to each other like we're actually both in Christ. And that we're going to spend eternity with one another. That's my main issue. Mm-hmm. And that's just what I don't see on Twitter. And it drives me crazy. And, and I appreciate that. I really do. I think that Twitter does kind of shove people into camps. Uh-huh. Um, oh, yeah. And then you will get a following if you have an enemy. And if you're yes. fighting, that's kind of the, that's kind of the right. deal. The, it, one of the best ways to, to get a massive following on Twitter very quickly is to only talk about things in that negative way. And it's pretty revealing. And I I think what's going to happen is when persecution hits, Mm -hmm. these little squabbles that we're having, and some of them are are legitimate squabbles, but the the squabbles that we're we're having are going to die down pretty quickly. And we're going to have to, we're going to have to regroup. (laughs) Well, I mean, I just, right. Sorry, I keep interrupting you, but I told my pastor the other day when she kind of disagreed with me because we still, we don't see fully eye to eye, eye to eye on the issue, but the sexual abuse report came out and all this stuff. And I'm going, as far as I can see it, uh, CRT is not as big of an issue as sexual abuse right now in the SBC. Hmm. So, you know, but not everybody agrees with me on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. They're, they're certainly, they are both evil. And they both yes. need to be rooted oh, yeah. out. Um, Amen. And, and um, I think you can become, I think, I think what happens is the sexual abuse becomes politicized. And, oh, yeah. and then the CRT becomes politicized mm-hmm. um, rather than both being um, seen for what they are. Um, right. And so that's, that's where the camp, you know, the two, the social media camps get split up into. And that's what we have to be careful of is we need to be Christians who call balls and strikes when, sure. when we see them. Um, I appreciate your heart. Uh, this is a joy to be able to talk with you and, and discuss yeah, not just your book, but, but just um, your observations. Um, because like I said, as, as your book gets, continues to draw a larger audience, I'm sure there's going to be pushback um, from, from both camps, you know, from both, both ditches. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so, and, and I appreciate I appreciate your the, the way that you've thought through this. What does evangelism kind of look like in your life, Blake? Is as you've written this book, you've you've looked at uh, 
you know, resources and other, other people who have talked about the subject. I'm just curious, as you have, have written this book, how has it impacted your own personal evangelism? Well, I'll be the first one to say that um, I do not evangelize far as much as I should. Yeah. Um, that's certainly a, a conviction um, that I've been under for sure. But, um, it, you know, Justin, it kind of depends on wh- whether I am in, whether you really evangelize online or not, I don't know, but it certainly has shifted how I interact online. Um, it, 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 it goes down to the small things of like, if you were to respond to somebody on Twitter back, back in the old days, you just hit the, re- the reply button and you go under the tweet. And nowadays we want everybody to see our response. So instead of replying, we quote tweet, mm. that's assumed that that goes down to motives. And so we can't, we can't, and we shouldn't fully make a judgment on that. But I think a lot of the times it, it can reveal, you know, where our heart is in that process. But as an example in evangelism, kind of more to your question, um, I met a man that was probably probably a year ago. Um, I was actually going to get McDonald's for breakfast. And that's okay. You're allowed. I love McDonald's breakfast. Oh, yes. Oh, that's just a totally separate conversation. I love it too. <laughs> um, and I went to go get it but on my way there. I noticed a homeless man by our Walmart just with a sign, you know, help me, yada, yada, yada. And I didn't stop. As I was getting McDonald's, I got the food. And as I was leaving, I'm going, okay. Like the Holy Spirit, you just know. Mm -hmm. You know when he's convicting you to do something. And it's kind of like you got the sin of commission and the sin of omission. And I think for me in that scenario, it would have been sinful of me not to um, turn back around. So I turned back around, told myself, your food's going to be cold. <laughs> your food's going to be cold, but that's okay. So I pulled into the parking lot by the Walmart. I had like 80 cents in my car. No, no, no. I didn't have 80 cents. I had like a, a, a baggie full of coins, which you know, was probably a dollar 20. Hmm. I brought that out, gave it to him. And I just struck up a conversation. I mean, this is kind of what I talk about in the book of Yes, preach the gospel, share the gospel, but get to know the person. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can we can get so caught up in trying to just look at somebody as a number and look at somebody as I'm trying to get this gospel to you really quickly and then leave the conversation rather than what's your name? Here's my name. What do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, what's your situation? It's it's even as something like we can sometimes make an excuse to ourselves or not to not do something like that because we say, Oh, well maybe that guy is just uh, dressing up for the day to make himself look homeless when he's really mm-hmm. doing just fine. You know, just cynical stuff like that. Um, and so I had a conversation with him. I, you know, I asked him if he had asked him if he was a Christian, if he knew the gospel, if he had been to church and, you know, it was kind of one of those nominal Christian things because I'm in the heart of the Bible belt. Okay. Um, it's, it's everywhere. And there wasn't really a dramatic situation. I shared the gospel with him. I, I made sure he was clear on 
who Jesus was because what he was talking about, Jesus, he wasn't God and all this stuff. So I made clear on that. Um, and I asked if I could pray for him. And I didn't necessarily say, you know, Lord, save him. It was, it was in that situation. It was more about um, helping the man just with his physical needs. Uh, but it was certainly a prayer I prayed on the way home for the man's salvation, if, if in fact he wasn't saved. And so just something as simple as that, um, just it could have been very easy to be more to be more abrasive in that situation and try to make an argument, so to speak, out of whether Jesus is God or not and all this stuff when, yes, that's a crucial part to the gospel. But in that context, uh, a theological bait didn't really need to happen so much, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I thank you for sharing that, that story. It encourages me. I think what we forget is that we're making disciples, right? And right. it was require relationships. And mm -hmm. I'm thankful for evangelists. I'm thankful for, for those who tr hand out tracts. We, we do need to remember that we want to connect these people to a local church too, um, right. and so, which, is, which is why we, we also want to just have conversations with them. We want to learn their names. Um, yep. We want to we wanna have a relationship with them. So much of evangelism is just being outgoing and striking up conversations. <laughs> and, yeah, it really and, is. And being willing to being willing to strike up the conversation and then turn that conversation to something spiritual. Um, yeah. So, and I think a, a good point to make is because I think some, this is a situation where some people could draw conclusions, not advocating for friendship evangelism. Right. I'm just saying be a human being and just talk to the person. Yes. You know, something as simple as that. I a hundred percent agree. And what I appreciate about your book is that you acknowledge the inherent offensiveness of the gospel. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're very clear that we are not to be ashamed of it. You don't want the message of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection sugarcoated or messed with or tweaked to make more palatable. Um, you acknowledge we're going to be called bigots and we're going to be mm -hmm. called haters. Christians have to be willing to invade those safe spaces um, that the world sets up. Uh, we have to speak out. But in this book, you are challenging Christians to proclaim the truths of Scripture while also abiding in Christ and producing the fruits of the Spirit. Um, am I right about that? Yeah, absolutely. It, it really comes down to just in keeping our eyes on Jesus, mm -hmm. um, keeping our eyes on the gospel and understanding where we once were. Um, one of the main things I talk about in the book is how we do come across as jerks and offensive is when we forget who we once were. And so, yeah, we have to remember that uh, whatever context I'm in, uh, the gospel is going to be offensive because it says you're a sinner in need of a savior. And if that person is an unbeliever, apart from the sovereign grace of God, uh, they're not going to like that message. And so we need to lean on the Holy Spirit to determine how exactly we share that message. A lot of the times our sin gets in the way. But yeah, if we look at the fruit of the Spirit, joy, patience, peace, kindness, um, talk about in the book, uh, first chapter, I think, where I kind of ask the reader to do a self-diagnosis. Are you a kind Christian? Are you a self-controlled self Christian? Um, are you a gentle Christian? 
those three things, gentleness, for example, being gentle in your evangelism or in your witness at large does not mean you compromise. Mm -hmm. It does not mean you sugarcoat, as you said, the gospel message to make it more appealing. You don't sugarcoat the message of the gospel. It's going to offend either way. Mm -hmm. But you can certainly sugarcoat your own ego in the process. So being gentle doesn't always mean uh, coming across as timid. doesn't mean you're, you come across as timid. It just means understanding the situation, understanding who you're talking to. The, the example I give in the book is when the two LDS sisters showed up, my girlfriend, now wife, her, her apartment door. Uh, we had just gotten back from a, a mission trip to Provo, Utah. So we're, we know all the Mormon language, all the Mormon doctrine. And it could, it could have been very easy in this situation to have a three-hour debate and to just argue the whole time. Hmm. Um, but I also knew that you can go in circles very quickly with Mormons. And I also knew that Mormons are very skittish. Um, the, I remember when we were at Provo, uh, we were at the, the large LDS temple. The first mention or the first question about grace that kind of had a Protestant leaning to it. They kicked us out. <laughs> I just, just, no, not even a conversation. Mm. So God forbid you have somebody disagree with you and try to persuade you. You know, we were all kind of in our cage stage Calvinist uh, little arena too. So we were kind of, you know, the book was for me back in 2016. <laughs> um, and so I knew that I needed to be very soft-spoken with these two ladies um, and I think my wife can attest that I was, but even in how soft-spoken I was, I had to say things like, if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell, or Joseph Smith is a false prophet. They didn't like that. One of the ladies cried. Now, here is, here's the thing. We should not be afraid uh, to make them cry because we know that the gospel is going to offend or not make them cry or tick them off and make them want to punch you in the face. But we don't want to uh, go out of our way to do so. We don't want to intentionally do that. So, Yeah, and it would be totally antithetical to, to the gospel completely. Like you said, mm -hmm. you know, if, if we are proclaiming this message that we are all sinners, that we're all in need of a savior. Um, and that the only reason why I'm saved is out of God's free sovereign grace. Boy, that should mm -hmm. absolutely soften our edges. Oh yeah. <laughs> As we're humbles talking, us a little bit. Yeah. It, should, it should humble us. And it, and we should recognize that when people reject us, it shouldn't surprise us. In other words, um, right. because of, we understand the depravity of man's heart. We understand that the only reason I'm saved is because God drew me to himself. So Amen. <laughs> um, I just think, yeah, I, I have seen the harshness in evangelism um, in various contexts and in various locations. And I've, and there have been times in my own life where I have mm -hmm. been very harsh and have had to repent before the Lord. And your, your book gospel smugness has, has helped me put language to that. So you discuss the idea of our witness and language in evangelism mm -hmm. in your book. Um, mm -hmm. Jesus called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Mm -hmm. And I, I've seen some in, in our camp kind of use that as a hammer yeah. um, and it, as an excuse to be harsh, uh, to be arrogant, 
to mm -hmm. be rude in their responses in social media. And, and I'm sure, and even in my own life, I've seen that, uh, I've used that excuse. Uh, does this verse give us um, the liberty to call unregenerate people a bunch of harsh names when they disagree with us? Uh, no. And it's one of those things where we, we like to, to do that example. We like to talk about Jesus flipping tables in the temple. Um, when I was talking on another podcast the other day, uh, I, I talked about how I played golf the other day and I hit an awful shot and I slammed my club into the ground. Um, very sinful anger. That is not the same thing as being righteously indignant. Okay. So a, a lot of the times when we're just being jerks, we act like we're being righteously angry about things and we're just not, we're just acting like fools. And so, yeah, the language thing is a big part of that. I'm always very discouraged to see how flippant some Christians are using language, whether it's just harsh, whether they're just being abrasive all the time, mm -hmm. or whether they're going even further and actually using um, foul language. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I make the, the, the sentence in the book about just because Jesus used harsh language doesn't mean we use foul language. This um, that doesn't give us the liberty to use four-letter words and, and so on and so forth. Um, are there very special circumstances to maybe where they could be permitted? Maybe. I can't say as a fact because I've listened to many Jeff Durbin videos or watched many Jeff Durbin videos um, where he has said something uh, as like a quote per se, to kind of uh, contextualize the conversation with the person. I think they were in a bar, so it was kind of a rough conversation. Would I have done it? No, but I'm not going to condemn it. Mm. But that's very rare. Um, of course, that's just my opinion. That's not law, but it's just like I, I, we get so focused on being righteously angry and we use it as an excuse. Of just You're just being a jerk. There's no other way around it. If you're street, if you're on the corner of the street preaching to people on a footstool, um, I have no problem with, and I think you should. I think you should not be um, scared of doing this of using biblical language. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to refer to homosexuals as Sodom and Gomorrah or whatever, I ain't got nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. You're gonna tick some people off. Um, you're not wrong if you don't use that language, uh, but. You know, so I'm saying, yeah, don't don't use it as an excuse, but also don't shy away from using the biblical language. Yeah. A lot of it comes down to the context. So, very good. Yes, um, you write in chapter six that Christians should be peacemakers, not troublemakers, mm -hmm. not rioters, not mischief makers, but peacemakers. Um, can you walk us through what you mean by that, and and how we're called to be bold mm -hmm. on social media, in our communities, and in our churches? and be peacemakers at the same time? A lot of it comes down to, at the foundation, not being the one to start the stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think we should have no problem being okay with getting into confrontation with people when the timing and context is right. Even if that's on social media, I don't, I, I'm personally not probably going to do that because I just don't see much value in it uh, just because of, you got 240 characters 
um, it's just not really going to work. And you're, you're really not going to change people's mind too much on Twitter. Uh, but um, I think a lot of the times we like to be the ones that start the conversation. We like to be the ones that start the riot, um, whether that's on social media or not. We, um, it kind of fuels our need for controversy. Uh, and when, when our hearts are excited by controversy, I think there is a huge problem with that. We should not be excited to get into a confrontation. Um, there's there's a guy I know I can't remember his name. Probably shouldn't say his name anyway. But he was uh, on on a podcast recently, and he talked about how he's a member, uh, a member quote unquote of the Get Along Gang. Now I like that. Now there are certainly caveats to that. Uh, sometimes you just can't be a part, can't can't be a member of the Get Along Gang because some some situations require you to say things that's going to tick one person off, uh, but you have to say it in order to, to not compromise the gospel. Um, you do have to stand your ground firmly or stand your feet in the ground firmly sometimes. Um, and a lot, a lot of it being a peacemaker, um, a lot of it comes down to how other people are going to perceive you. Uh, just because you're being a peacemaker, but sometimes I think in the next chapter, I talk about when confrontation is necessary and your actions may be perceived as confrontational or abrasive. And that could simply just be their perception. And that's not how you're actually being. Uh, but I think definitely in the church today, church today, we need to make an intentional effort of being peacemakers, not compromisers, not sugarcoating anything, but making sure we don't get into the fray just because, just for the heck of it. Yeah. Be at peace with all men as far as it depends on you. Right. Um, we are, we are, we should, we should strive to, to have good relationships. We should, mm -hmm. I think you talk about this in your book, you know, we are to, elders are, are to be those that have good reputations um, with outsiders. There's a reason for that. Um, we don't, we don't want to be rabble rousers. We don't want to be mm -hmm. riot makers, like you said. Um, God, in his mercy and his grace, will bring about conflict. He'll allow yeah. the conflict when, when it's time, when we're ready. Um, and he, will, he ordains those times where we do have to stand our ground on truth. But we don't need to go searching for it, especially in, right. especially in this day and age. <laughs> for sure. Um, because that, first of all, it's sin. Second of all, it's, it's, it, is, it will be found. Um, but, but mm. you're right. Blake Long, it's been a joy having you. Um, it's yeah, been fun it's been talking, to be here. talking to you about gospel smugness. And um, where are some places we can find your book at? Well, because it was self-published, um, you can, of course, get it on Amazon. If you're a Prime member, of course, you get that two, two, uh, free two-day shipping. Um, you can get it at Barnes & Noble's. And I'm sure you got to pay shipping and tax for that. Um, you can get it at like any other third party, like books a million, you can get it there online. Or if you want to wait forever in a day, you can buy it directly through me, probably at a discounted price. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because, you know, just for full disclosure for the listeners, for me to buy an author copy from Amazon, um, it's two dollars and thirty-one cents plus four dollars of shipping. I pay six bucks 
for one of my books. So <laughs> I'll still make a profit off of you, but it's not going to be twelve ninety nine. <laughs> Good. And you've got some great endorsements on your book. Okay. You've got Justin Peters. He endorses your book. You've got uh, Dustin Benj endorses your book. We have, let's see, who else? Kofi uh, Aduboin. So you've got some excellent endorsements from godly men who, who love this book and who demonstrate exactly what, what you're talking about. Um, don't be gospel smug, <laughs> right? Don't be right. arrogant in the gospel. Be a peacemaker. Demonstrate love and kindness. Anything, you, any last words? I think the last word I have is the last word I had in the book. Um, amid all the talk about making sure we're not offensive, which is good. We, we don't want to be offensive. We don't want to add more offensive or offense to the gospel. Uh, but at the end of the day, if we are Christians, we know that God is going to shape us and mold us into the image of his son. He's going to sanctify us, which means he's going to smooth out your rough edges. So do not make an excuse for you being kind of rough uh, as an excuse not to evangelize because then at that point you're disobeying the great commandment. Um, so even amid your struggle with being abrasive or being rude sometimes, or, you know, just having no idea how to talk to somebody correctly, remember at the end of the day, he still calls you to share the gospel. And if you know that gospel, then he can use you as a vessel. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining this humble little podcast where we are always reforming. We love sound theology and Christ is King. Blake, I can't wait for you to get that calf tattoo um, of our logo and grow Sorry. that beard. <laughs> Never going to happen. <laughs> Never going to happen. All right. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely.